Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. As always, it's a joy to be with you this evening to open the Word. Uh, I always get like, how do I start these things? How do I, how do, I do this? But man, I just want to trust in the Spirit tonight. And so, before I say any more words, I want to go to the Lord in prayer again. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that as we open your word, God, we see the promises that you have kept for us through generations and generations uh, to come. Father, I just pray that you speak to us, God, that you uh, speak through me, God, that you calm my soul right now, and Lord, that I can just, uh, just open the word of God and to share in these truths with uh, your people. Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus, for setting the ultimate example for us. Lord, let us uh, see his words tonight, and not just hear them, but God, to trust in them and to obey them, Father. That is our prayer tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 13. I know that um, in the last few months, it seems like we haven't really had an evening service or at least we've had evening services at some level, but they're not uh, preaching the word services. They still are great. Uh, but a couple months ago, I think it was the last month, was the last time we went through uh, the book of Genesis, which is what we're going to continue on next week. Uh, but tonight I'm going to be reading through John 13. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this particular passage, it's a pretty common passage. that I think uh, there's many sermons out there about it. Um, this is what is the start in John's gospel of what is known as the farewell discourse. Um, this farewell discourse goes from chapter 13 to 17, and is basically Jesus uh, finishing up his ministry here on earth. And this is right before he's about to be taken to the cross, uh, and actually leads into the passion narrative is what we call it, uh, which is when Jesus is actually on the cross. Um, but there's a lot of amazing things in this particular these particular uh, verses, and in chapter 13, we see that Jesus is in what's known as the upper room, and he's teaching his disciples, the 12 disciples at that point, still Judas was a part of them, Um, and it starts in verse 1 saying, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to part out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. So we see something pretty amazing happen here. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he 
knew not for he knew who was to betray him and that's why he he said not all of you are clean verse 12 says when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place he said to them do you not un- do you understand what i have done to you you call me teacher and lord and you are right for so i am if i then your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet for I have given you an example that you also should do, should dust, sorry, also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's the reading of the word of God. Now, we see a lot of things in this passage, and, and we're going to break it down piece by piece. But ultimately tonight, if you haven't caught on yet, we're going to talk about this topic of servitude, service, and ultimately humility. I want us to look through this topic of service for Christ. And when I'm talking about this idea of service, I'm not just talking about being a good person, going and doing things, but rather doing it with a heart for Jesus. And ultimately, we'll see throughout this passage that Jesus sets the ultimate example for his disciples to follow. And ultimately, that's where uh, this farewell discourse is so important because he's teaching his disciples some pretty important stuff. And so we're going to start back in verse 1. And it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, I find it so interesting To see how this passage starts, as John mentions here, Jesus knew that his time had come, that he was about to be put to death. He was going to be handed over to the authorities. He knew all these things. I don't know about you, but if I had imminent death in my forefront and I knew that was happening, I think it would be hard to do best about anything. But notice how he says in the beginning, he said he he knew that his time has come. He had to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. In his final sentence of verse 1, we see the deeply rooted heart of God in the physical Christ. We see the ultimate purpose of why Jesus came in the first place. He was going to be put to death soon, but yet he still had the greatest thing that he was going to give to the disciples, that is the love. It only came from above. We see a few verses later in John 13, 34, he gives a commandment about love to his disciples. He says, a new commandment. I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, I think the heart of servitude, the heart to want to serve somebody should ultimately come out of a heart of love. And ultimately, who has the greatest source of love but God? I think about us as people, not just Christians, but people in general. I find that love is something that we can say that we have, but yet we don't often show it. More often than not, I find that we're prideful people. We do what's best for ourselves. And though we say we love somebody, we don't actively show them in ways that are evident. Now, obviously... We recognize this idea of loving one another as Jesus has commanded you to do that. We know we're supposed to love people, but ultimately we don't do it very well, I find. 
what better place to understand how to love somebody than to see the perfect example of love played out through Jesus. In John 15, verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. The love of God in action is simply the cross, right? Jesus showed his love for us by going to the cross. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. He sacrificed himself so that we may celebrate in the love of God himself. Us as sinners in this world, what greater love than we can know than Jesus come into this world to save us from our sins and bring us back into a perfect relationship with God. This idea of love, we must understand that obviously we're not Jesus. When we show love to others, right, we can't die for somebody and save them from their sins, right? Only Jesus can do that. But like I mentioned earlier, there has to be a practical way that we can show love, and I think that's where this particular passage really takes off. If you go back to verse 2, it says that during supper, when the devil already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I'll just quick pause. If you're unfamiliar with this uh, idea of feet washing, obviously for us in the Western world, that is such a foreign concept. But according to uh, Britannica Online Encyclopedia, it talks about this idea of foot washing as a practice that was originally an act of hospitality in Palestinian homes, formed for guests who wore sandals or walked on dusty roads by uh, normally the servant or the wife of a host. Um, and as you can imagine, imagine this, it's uh, the time period that we're talking about here. Uh, and you think about the sandals that they had. They probably didn't have a pay less shoes down the road so they can go get socks and, you know, shoes, right? Like they were walking around in nasty old sandals on dirty roads, probably walking through a bunch of cow dung all the time. You can't, could you even imagine how nasty these feet were, <laughs> right? And when Jesus comes down to wash them, he says, I'm going to wash your feet. Now, what an act of servitude that I'm sure many of us probably have a hard time understanding or grasping. I had a pastor when I was in college uh, named Jeremy, who was a pretty out there guy, but man, he's a huge spiritual influence in my life. And he, he loves to ask very random questions at random times. And uh, one of the questions, we were talking about this one day, and just out of nowhere, he says, Trent, Picture this, so for you today, picture this. You're walking out in a cow field, and you have no shoes on. Imagine this, you, you're barefoot, and you're walking through all the dung and all the nastiness, and you get back to your house, and lo and behold, there's Jesus. And he says, I want to wash your feet. Would you let him? Would you let him? <laughs> right I think for most of us we'd probably be a little hesitant like this is this is the king of all of all kings this is this is God in the flesh how could I ever let him do such a thing to me and I think that's even Peter's response right in verse 6 he says he came to Simon Peter who was with him he said Lord you wash my feet and Jesus answered him what am I doing now you 
do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, he says, <laughs> he says, you shall never wash my feet. I think a lot of us, I think I love Peter so, so much because, man, what a relatable guy. Because <laughs> I think that's how a lot of us would act like, Phew, Jesus, I'm not too sure about that. My nasty old feet, ugh, I don't know. Now look what Jesus says after that. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Peter takes a step back and he says, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. He says, wash all of me. <laughs> right? I, I just could only imagine that moment. I'm sure that would have been the greatest overreaction ever. But I love the heart of Peter. Because Jesus explains why he's doing this. Right? This act of servitude. Right, This great king of kings is stepping down into the lowest possible position to clean, dirty feet. What a nasty job that is. But this is the heart of Christ towards us. In verse 10, Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said not all of you are clean. Right, Jesus speaks in a way that maybe we can have understanding of the things of heaven, right? Obviously, this goes a little bit outside the realm of servitude, but I think it's so important to talk about. What's amazing about this passage is Jesus is clearly speaking about spiritual things. He says, The one who bathed, has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. Right? What he's talking about here is Jesus has gone... He has done the work of the cleaning, right? He will eventually, right? This is kind of interesting, and to be honest, as a little youth pastor trying to understand this was like, whoa, how does this work? But from what we see in this passage, he's talking about eventually, right? He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. He's going to die for mankind's sin so they can be clean, right? And when we talk about this idea of being cleansed from our cleansed unrighteousness, Right? Jesus has done that work once and for all. Talking about cleaning your feet is not the same as cleaning all of yourself. Right? When Jesus has cleansed you from your sin, he has cleansed all of you. But obviously sin is still a problem, right? Sin is still an ongoing thing that we as Christians will struggle with. And that's why feet washing is more of a simple act of let me cleanse your feet so you can be fully clean. And I think that's hard for us to grasp as Christians, but in this passage, what an amazing illustration of what is to come, what Jesus is really there to do. I think that's so amazing. This is just another way that Jesus teaches us the things of God in ways that we can understand. We understand that Jesus is the ultimate source of our cleansing, and that we should put this kind of humility around others. One thing I want us to notice tonight is that when he mentions not all of you are clean, meaning Judas Iscariot, of course, notice that he never says that he never washed Judas' feet. I think that's a part of scripture that just baffles me so much and just honestly encourages me. Right? When he cleansed the disciples' feet, he said he cleansed all of their feet. And to think that Jesus doing this to the man who was literally about to betray them, what an amazing act of grace and mercy put on Judas. And when we reflect on our own lives, isn't that the kind of grace that our God puts on us, the sinners who are at enmity with God? 
who naturally our flesh is against the things of God, and Jesus still is willing to wash us of our unrighteousness. I think that is so amazing. Understanding that the heart of a servant is a heart of love, and seeing that the example of that is to show love in action, Jesus continues and finishes verses 12 through 17 with a challenge for those disciples. He says, when he finished, when he had watched, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. Jesus finishes this intimate moment with his disciples by giving them, as well as us as a reader, a challenge. In the ultimate display of humility, Jesus shares with them that the heart of the one who has inherited the kingdom of heaven doesn't start with a chase for the crown, but rather a laying down of one's pride being a people of the Tao. I find that this heart is a perfect representation of what Paul writes in Philippians 2, chapter 4, in the ultimate example of who Christ was in his heart and how we should lead in that example. He says in Philippians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, if we're going to truly be obedient to our God, our Lord, we must not be people who look after our own interests only, but rather are people who are willing to truly lay down our selfish ways and are willing to want to serve others. Because ultimately, this is the heart of Christ. This is what Jesus wants out of his disciples from then on. He continues to challenge them in verse 13. We'll go back to it. He says, you call me a teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. When I was reading through a commentary uh, called Preaching the Word, the writer, um, Kent Hughes, he talks about Jesus in this instance employing what is known as lawyer's logic of, uh, I can't say this word very well, but fortani, fortori argument. I wish I had it spelled out on the screen. You could see it with me. But it basically just says that if it's true for the greater, how much more for the lesser? If it's true for the greater, how much more will it be for the lesser? It gives an illustration of this in action. In 1878, when William Booth's Salvation Army had just been so named, men from all over the world began to enlist. One man who had dreamed of himself as a bishop comes cross over from the Atlantic from America to England to enlist. He was a Methodist minister named Samuel Logan Ringel. 
And he now turned from a fine pastorate to join Booth's Salvation Army. Ringel later became the Army's first American-born commissioner, but at, first, but at first Booth accepted his services reluctantly and grudgingly. Booth said to Bringle, you have been your own boss for too long. And in order to instill humility into Bringle, he sent him to work cleaning the boots of the other trainees. And Bringle said to himself, have I followed my own fancy across the Atlantic in order to blacken boots? And then, as in a vision, he saw Jesus bending over the feet of a rough, unlettered fisherman. Lord, he whispered, you wash their feet, I'll black their boots. What an amazing story that is, because it, what an ultimate act of servitude for us to become like the least of these, to serve those around us. See, if we are to call ourselves Christians, we must have a whole heart of servitude and ultimately humble ourselves greatly. We all carry such great pride in who we are, what we do, yet in our Christian walk, we never give a second thought to our fellow man, sometimes. Some of us are good about it, but a lot of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, are not very good at it. We see people from outside only. We see their shells. We see what we think we know about them, and we don't want to help them in their time of need. We don't want to have conversations with them and build them up. Rather, sometimes we be people who tear them down. We see people from the outside, and we completely disregard their stories and the fact that they image that they bear from God himself, oftentimes we neglect. How quickly are we to be mouths that curse and not mouths that bless? Feet that walk away from the needs of others instead of the embrace forward. The hands that stay in our pockets and not out doing the work of God. How quickly are we to not be servants? See, it's nice receiving the grace of God and being Christians in our own little world, but sometimes kind of put on the blinders and don't think about the world around us, and obviously that's not the heart of Christ. This passage goes well beyond the physical washing of feet, although I think maybe for some of us we need to try that out sometime. It goes deep into the heart of a Christian. If our Jesus was willing to step down and cleanse our feet, and not only that, but our unrighteousness, which is like filthy rags. What makes us think that we can't go and do the same thing for our fellow man? Not in the sense of being Christ, but to have the heart of Christ. What a mighty church we would be if we would just stop speaking poorly of those around us and said pray for them, and better yet, go beyond our words and actually physically go and do something. Like I mentioned earlier, this heart of servitude is a heart of love, and if we have a love for people that want to see them saved, then we are willing to go and be the hands and feet for Christ's ministry. I love how Jesus finishes this passage. He says in verse 17, If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. Now, you should notice here that he doesn't just say that, oh, happy you will be if you do these things. Happy you'll be if you serve people. Now, obviously, we should have a heart of joy when we do this, but sometimes if we're being honest with ourselves, servitude is not always easy work. It's hard work. It's sometimes hard to love people who annoy us or people who we don't understand where they're coming from, right? 
But we understand that if we're going to have a heart of Christ, we want to see all saved and come to the knowledge and the saving power of Christ. We have to be able to serve those who we don't necessarily like or agree with. It's so important. Ministry and servitude are hard work, but just know that in the eyes of God, it's so worth it. It's worth every bit of it. And blessed are you if you do them. Now, we have to understand here as well, I don't want any of us to think that, saying, oh, well, this is how we earn our salvation, right? Obviously, that's not at all it. By grace, you've been saved. But ultimately, we must be able to go out and to serve our God well, to glorify God through all that we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever it is, we do it to the glory of God. We must be people who are willing to serve. I want to finish this evening with just some pictures. And I'm not even going to say anything, but I want us, just Hannah, if you want to click through them and just pause for a few seconds. I think this is such an amazing image, the images of thinking of others who maybe we not, not like or agree with, but to know that Jesus died for them. It's really powerful. These images should strike something in us to want to not put, put aside our pride, put aside all the things that the walls that we put up amongst people, to break those down and to go minister to these people, to love on them and to serve them well. So let's pray as we finish today. Father, I just thank you again for this time. Father, I pray that we are people who are the hands and feet of your ministry, God, that we have boldness to go proclaim your word. But God, most importantly, that we can put aside our pride, put aside our egos, God, and truly put on a heart of love and grace for these people because you've shown that grace towards us first. Lord, we know that in our sin, God, if we are truly not abiding in you, Lord, we know that it is not at all how we should be as Christians, but God, we must abide closely to you, abide in the vine. And so, Father, I just pray that you prune off any parts of us that don't honor or glorify you. God, if we are selfish in the way that we think of others, God, if we have ill hearts towards others, God, a heart of hatred, God, we know that's not of you. And so, Father, I just pray that you cleanse us from that. Father, that you wash our feet spiritually, God, and that you could truly lead and guide us in our walks, each and every one of us, Lord. Lord, allow us to continue to shine that light to those around us, God, so they can see you and give you glory. God, not to give us glory for what we have done, but God, the glory for what you have done, and ultimately for the finished work that Christ has done on the cross for our sin, our brokenness, our shame. So, Father, we just pray now over our hearts. We are so grateful 
again to have this time together. We just continue to pray you to continue to work through this service. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.